Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Ken Coleman. He's the former CEO at Fairport Wealth, retired this past year. And I've had the pleasure of working with his team and seeing the sort of leader that he was through the influence that he has had on them. When I first met Ken, he was still in his role, but he was in the final phases of a really healthy secession plan that he set up. So that way, his team didn't skip a beat. It's scary how many businesses fail during a handoff when somebody does retire who's in that senior leadership role. Ken did it right. He set the model for all future leaders at Fairport Wealth. And I just have tremendous respect for him and the type of person that he is. You'll hear how much he values authenticity, how it was core to everything that he did throughout his career. We go through his journey. We talk about the pillars of leadership for him or what makes up peak leadership and the storms that he faced. I would work for Ken in a heartbeat. And I'm sure that many of the people who have consider him their peak leader. This is the first podcast that he ever did. Might be the first time since he retired that he got to share his story. So I take great responsibility in amplifying it because of the sort of person I know he is and how incredible of a leader he has been to so many throughout his career. Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host and catalyst for growth, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives. Join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Welcome to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders podcast. This is Joe Jurek. Excited to have next to me today, Ken Coleman. He's the former CEO at Fairport Wealth, recently retired, somebody that uh, has known Culture Shock for quite a while and that I had the pleasure of meeting just this past year. And during that time, I had, had quite a few awesome interactions. So I, I was pumped to get him in here today to share his story, something that I think you'll find a lot of value in and just have some good conversations because I think he's an interesting fellow. And I'm looking forward to learning more about him today on our podcast. So, Kat, welcome. Thank you, Joe. Fun to be here. Not sure what to expect, but fun to be here. No doubt. No doubt. I think we'll, we'll have a good time. I, I heard ahead of time from your team, they said, give them some gin with muddled cucumber and we'll be good to go. I think this is the first episode so far. I've, I've had a glass, but Ken, give me a little cheers to you, my friends. Thank cheers. you. Thank you. I have Buffalo Trace in, in my cup, so... We'll see if that has any effect towards the end of this episode. That might be <laughs> fun too. But Ken, say hi. Tell us about yourself. Uh, Thanks, Joe. I've been blessed with a career that has allowed me to work at several firms that uh, have spanned 40 plus years of experience. I've been blessed to work with some amazing people. And given the opportunity to be in a leadership role, which had a heavy level of responsibility. 
certainly there were times in there where I felt ready and there were times in there when I didn't. And what I'm trying to do with this based on, I know your objectives, is just try to help the next person in line. This is part art, part science, part guesswork, part EQ, part IQ, right? There's no real formula per se. And lots of different components. There, there are lots of moving parts. But I'm lucky to have been given the experiences I have, and I've been given a lot of support along the way. And so one of the things that I'm enjoying now is the opportunity to do some executive coaching. And I find that incredibly rewarding. It's a chance to give back because a lot of people help me along the way. That's awesome. And in a nutshell, I think a great way of describing the interaction I've had with you so far, even leading up to this podcast when I asked you about it, you seemed almost more, you said you were honored, but also more shocked than anything else. Like this, you're a humble human, but you accomplished some really great things. And I hope you recognize that. I hope you do pause and that you hear it from others as well, because I see the results of who you are in the people that I work with. Now. I have the pleasure of working with uh, emerging leaders and some of the leadership team at Fairport Wealth. And each session that we have, you're there in the room in a lot of ways because you've left your imprint on a lot of people. And that, that's in the snapshot that I've had something that was apparent to me. So it, it probably extends well beyond that. But I'm looking forward to getting into some of what makes you tick and, and what you value. And in just how you introduce yourself, though, that still comes through. It's that humble servant leadership. Put your people first and learn from everything, right? So we mentioned you have recently retired. So we can start there. I did retire. I, I chose to have my first day of retirement be April 1st, my sense of humor. Yeah. I thought it would be funny to be April Fool's Day to be my first day of retirement. Not many people thought it was nearly as funny as I did, but it was my retirement, so I got to decide. Love it. So it's been four <laughs> months now. First month, I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought something was wrong. Since that time, it's been an absolute blast. And it's interesting because I'm, I wasn't very good at reflecting reflecting on the career, reflecting on the accomplishments, reflecting on the journey that I had. And even just this podcast, and I appreciate not just the chance that we're sitting here, but it allowed me, gave me the opportunity to think back a little bit and go, how did I get here? Why, why me? Yeah. Because I am just a normal guy. Never really asked for it. I raised my hand a lot but I never really asked for it. And it's fun. It's a little rewarding. I'll admit it's an honor in a sense to have people that still talk about you and think about you. Right? Yeah. It's, it makes a lot of things worthwhile at the end of the day. No doubt. Because it's the leadership role. A lot of words you can use. It's a lonely position. It's, you're going to put yourself in the glass house. You're going to come under scrutiny. You're going to be second guess. You're going to be, you're in that mode of a lot of things 
not everyone's going to agree with what you're doing or how you're doing it. And I think if I had to boil it down for me, one of the things that I believe was important as I think about my own style was trying to be authentic, be the same Ken, no matter who I was dealing with, no matter the circumstance, no matter the audience. And I think, good or bad, that's served me mostly well. You get what you, you, get, what you get, right? <laughs> I, I, I am not very good at changing it. And I'm also a guy that puts a lot of sense of humor into it. I try to keep things a little more lighthearted than maybe your average CEO might. I think sense of humor is a lost art, frankly, when it comes to leadership. You, it breaks down barriers. You, you are a real person right. when you joke and you get to know each other and you can have that kind of camaraderie. And then at the same time, when things need to be serious, you can be serious and people respond to that as well. No okay. doubt. I'm, I'm getting off the tangent problem. No, I like this. This is, like I said, some of the best conversation happens between questions and some of the tangents. And you hit on a couple things there that I'll, I'll try to not go too far down, but that I, I want to mention. When you talked about leadership being a lonely place, mm. I think that's a heavy It's not always how it's presented to first-time managers or that it's even realized as a middle manager. Anything else on that? Anything that comes to mind as to why? Or if somebody's listening to this and they've just taken on a management role or are considering it because that's what they've identified as their next step, any kind of the, the sign that's outside of the pool saying swim at your own risk sort of thing that you, that you would share with them in that regard? So... I, I guess for me, everything boils down or starts with the fundamental concept of trust. My early career was on the human resource side. Okay. And I was given the opportunity early in my career because I was in human resources to look across the business and see all of the business. I think it's tough sometimes when you start your career and end up in a functional department because many times what you is the functional department. Right. You don't see the interaction of how the business connects. You don't see how it works. You don't see what the issues are. You don't see how strategies formed. And so early on, given that HR responsibility and the chance to look at the business across all elements of the business, that was something that got me really excited early on. Yeah. Was, I can't live in a vertical. I've got to live. And I think you look at management, you look at leadership. Management to me is vertical. Leadership is the across the business horizontal piece. So as I, I looked at this, I would have been bored to death if I had not taken a leadership role. But recognize when I did, and I was younger than some of the folks that I managed very early in my career, which was a huge wake-up call, and they reminded me of that on occasion. Sometimes frequently. Sometimes frequently. Or heavily. The, the way I felt I was able to get over most of those speed bumps was trust. And as I think about trust, it's that share who you are, and this is the authentic piece. Listen, this is who I am. This is what you're going to get. This is what you can expect from me. And what can I expect from you? This is what I'm looking for. Tell me who you are, right? And some people are going to be okay with that. And, and, you're going to do really well with them. 
and some folks are going to just be a bit reserved in that regard. But I've used that as my fundamental tenet with the understanding that I just really couldn't be happy in business unless I had an enterprise-like role. And for me, the only way to do that was take on leadership. And every time I was given an opportunity, every time there was an opportunity presented itself, I raised my hand because I, I don't know anything about that. How does that work? How does that impact the business? What does that look like? I don't know how to do it. I have no idea what you're talking about, but would love to try. Yeah. That fascination um, with and then I'd better understanding. Come home and I'd share that. Guess what I'm going to do? And like, well, you'd never done that before. Yeah, I know. I'm, and I'm scared to death. But I felt like I needed to raise my hand. And it gives you also a sense of having been through those journeys yourself. You can then talk to the person that's new at this and go, listen, I had people believing in me long before I believed in myself. And I'm going to take the same approach. That is, I believe in you, right? And I'm going to probably suggest things to you or maybe even promote you beyond what you currently think that you're capable of or ready for or comfortable with. Let's take that journey together. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, let's talk about that because you still have a home here. And I've been very blessed by that. I think early on, I remember my first job. I interned for a company. They hired me a full-time position, and I actually called the HR department who I was going to work for and said, you made a mistake. You guys are going to pay me $1,000 a month? To do what? How can I possibly? And... So I think about just how you approach all that stuff. And I look back on those experiences and I think it allows you to coach people differently when you think about your own journey and, your, and the risks you took, right? What's some EQ, some putting yourself in other people's shoes or thinking what it must be like. I'm and, more of an relating. EQ guy than probably a domain guy. You've got to learn the business well enough to be able to obviously make good business decisions. And that's the domain side. But I'm a much bigger believer on the EQ side, all things being. Yeah. It will differentiate, I think, people in leadership ultimately. I think that's what people got to recognize, too, is that even if they don't know the technical knowledge, they don't have necessarily the experience. I, I too, found myself in a leadership role because I raised my hand. I felt nobody else is raising their hand. And even if they do, why them and not I? Yep. I know that I can at least do the opposite of some of the things that I've seen done uh, around here in the past that I felt could be better. And I'd have to learn a bunch, but I knew I'd care about the people uh, that I was working alongside, not above. You hit on the authenticity piece. And that resonates for me too, because unfortunately, earlier in my career, I, I don't feel I'd achieved it. And it wasn't until I was working in large organizations and was just around the, the birth of social media and things like that. I, I'm so hyper-focused on what's on the internet, make sure it doesn't mis, misrepresent me, or that's the snapshot that somebody gets of me because I had this somewhat upward trajectory at Sony Electronics. I was like, I'm going to run this thing one day to do I got to be mindful of this at a young age. But because of it, I was so precautious in, in a lot of my interactions. A, a lot of it was like natural, yes, to still connect and be myself, but almost more selectively. And my scope was also very limited mm. because I was at times focused on that siloed 
business unit. I'd not yet gotten that big picture understanding. And those two things coincided for me is when I finally got out of retail, out of large organizations at the corporate office and things like that, and into a smaller business, I realized how exciting it was for me to get exposure to the big picture and how all these things work together. I found areas of not only expertise, but desire to, to learn more about. But that's when I also started to realize if I can't be myself, I don't want to be here. And sometimes that's a little rough around the edges. Sometimes I'm going to say the wrong thing or use choice language, be a little more direct than I would have in the past. But it's when I started really loving what I do a whole heck of a lot more, as well as when I could just truly authentically be myself, whether I'm talking to an executive, a vendor, a client, an intern, whatever. And I think that's, it's easier said than done, right? And if, at times, if you told me that, I'm like, yeah, sounds good, but you don't know what it's like. Because that's often the response. I had worked for big companies in my past. And it wasn't until I got to what was my current firm, which I spent 23 years at, smaller firm. Originally, at the time when I joined them, actually a family-owned company. But it was a smaller company. And for me, my personality my relationship within that I'm more of a one-on-one relationship than I am a big relationship guy. I'd rather know a few people really well than a lot of people somewhat. Yeah. And the smaller business environment was really my thing. I didn't really know that for sure until I got there. But the intimacy of your relationship with your coworkers changed for me dramatically, right? Names of pets, names of kids, anniversaries, losses, kids going off to college, you name it, all those things, they become part of it. I'm not really crazy about the term extended family per se, but you get to know them on an entirely different level. And I couldn't do that at the big company. And at the big company, it just didn't have that touch to it. And for me, that was really important. And I think one of the reasons Mm -hmm. I was able to really find my place at this last firm was because of that. Do you think that because you had those 23 years at that firm, because that was something that you realized was not only possible, but a part of the success and something that you really enjoyed, if you had later gone to a bigger company after, you would have strived more to maintain that you would have been, that it would have been more possible for you to lead that way or to work that way? Or do you think that it still would have just... Uh, I'm I'm biased. I think it would have gotten eventually would have gotten squashed. I, I do. I wouldn't have had the, the freedom to exercise some of the things. You, and it's beyond just the relationship side. It's also, can you innovate, right? Can you make mistakes? Can you try new things? Can you be nimble? Can, can you think out about different things? Really hard to do at a large company. And I'm very growth-oriented. I've had the luxury of being able to take firms regardless of my role in previous lives. I took a manufacturing firm and helped them have take on a North American operation as opposed to just a U.S. base. I took the bank and moved them into an entirely new insurance product line, something that had never been done before at the bank, and so led something that was very new to the business itself, which is probably why 
I survived in those environments was because I was not playing in the mainstream. I was playing on the fringe. Right. And that ability to free think a bit, that ability to experiment was fun. It is a lot harder when there's layers and layers. And I, I've said before, Pete, my counterpart, mm-hmm. recently, but at some point he asked about desire or appetite to in the future work for a large organization again. It's like, only if we grow it there. It, otherwise, it, there, there's something about what you said where the ability to, to innovate, to be heard, to contribute. And I think hierarchy matters a whole lot less at a smaller to, to mid-sized organization because you realize the best idea might be coming from the, the bottom layer of that hierarchy or somebody who's brand new and those who recognize it and lead that way reap the benefits of it. It, it wasn't all a straight rosy path. There were We had our issues. We had our challenges. There were moments where I would second guess whether it was the right place for me. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the leader role and you're building an organization of that size, for me at least, one of the things that became very important to me was the responsibility I felt to the people that I hired. I talked to somebody about coming to work for us, leaving the firm they were at, leaving the livelihood that they had, putting that, potentially their family, at risk to come and buy in, to believe in what it was we were doing. And... I took a huge responsibility in that. And for me to go, okay, well, I had a bad day. I'm not happy this month. Maybe I'll go do something else for myself. Don't really think I could have done that given what I felt was my responsibility to the people who were part of the success of the business that I, you know, became part of recruiting them into the company to be part of that success. Yeah. Then to say, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go try something else. That that just didn't feel right to me. You mentioned it's that combination of art and science because you got to do what's right for the business. Yep. Things from the sky, yep. right, instead of being kind of in the weeds. So it's hard, right, to balance that because you have those personal connections. You, yep. you take it seriously and it you need yep. to be a good leader, to be a peak leader in somebody's life. And I want to talk about that in a moment. Let's zoom out for a second. We are going to talk peak leadership, some of the storms and things that sure. you charged through there throughout were, your career. There were some. Something that I think our listeners will take particular value from is around the last year or two in positioning and getting ready for you to retire mm-hmm. because a lot of businesses falter, suffer, lose who they are in second, third, fourth generation handoffs. And I, I feel like you, you did a lot of things that I hadn't necessarily seen with consistency. Others do. So I, I want to spend a, a bulk of time on that. You mentioned your first job and how, to a degree, tell us a little bit about that. What about between then and Fairpoint? Help us fill in those blanks a little bit, like your journey. Is there a worse job in there? Are there some trials and tribulations or things that you went through that were had a formative impact on you where you're like, I will not be this way or I will be this. Like, What comes to mind when you're thinking through that time frame and how you got to Fairport 23 well, years ago? Worst, worst job does go way back even before that. I, I was the person that had to clean out chicken coops 
at a farm, so I'll try to leave it as clean as that, if you can, no pun intended. In Ohio's? In Ohio. Okay. So that, 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 that's a good starting point. You grew up here, right? I did. Okay. I did. I lived out of state a couple of times, but ended up back in Ohio back early 80s, and I've been here ever since. So post that first job in HR, which was an ominous start. So the first day in this, I was labor relations working at a manufacturing facility with United Steelworkers. The labor relations manager, who I hadn't met before, I was hired by corporate, placed in, his, placed in that plant, comes out, got his vending machine cup of coffee in his hand, the tie that came about halfway down his shirt, on t- pulled down at the neck and said, you colon? I am. One thing you got to know. And what's that? He goes, you got to hate people. I go, this is awesome. You got to hate them? You got to gotta hate people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is okay. This is awesome. Show me the ropes. Show me the ropes. Yeah, this will be great. Moving on from there. <laughs> I went to work as well. I'd spent some time at an insurance company and talk about jobs that you realize you don't want to have to do for a living. One of the divisions that I ended up being part of was a group that sold insurance door to door in rural America. Who? You gained some real life experiences doing that. Sure. Um, and work with some, let's just say, a fairly eclectic group of people. So that was one of those that I'll chalk that up to experience, but why don't ever want to do that again? Yeah. But it was all part of playing the role and learning the way, right? I got pulled in because I was doing the HR thing and someone said, we're creating this thing. This is a huge opportunity for the business, but we need to figure out a way to train these several thousand agents that we have across the country on how to sell what it is we sell. And you're asking me to create the training program. HR training, of course, right? The only way I could go do that was to go spend literally three to six months in the field, knocking on doors in rural America, trying to sell this and learning from the people that knew how to do it and try to boil that down into some content to present so that we could teach future salespeople what this was like. Wow. Yeah. Good on you for doing that instead of assuming. Don't know if that was the option or if... You were voluntold to spend the time there, but still. I, I raised my hand because it was like, I have no idea what we're doing yeah. at all or how to do this. And I still use the phrase coined from this training program, God willing, and the creek don't rise. That in a rural setting, when you're selling insurance, will get you in the door every single time. All right. <laughs> Whatever that's worth. You learn things and you wouldn't have if you yeah. weren't there. That's not a takeaway for today. Right. It might be. <laughs> it's going to be in a quote, right? <laughs> There's something to be said, though, about you need to understand it well enough to be able to direct others in it. Correct. And otherwise, you'll be out of touch. Correct. It's going to be obvious because the people who know it intimately well, right. like, who who created this? They, have right. they ever done this before? Right. And you lose people. Yes. You have to be able to Correct. put yourself in somebody else's shoes and understand it yep. well enough to explain it simply. Yep. Yep. So kudos to you for three to six months of some new experiences. How about what what prompted the change then? Fast forwarding a little further to to Fairport. Tell us about like that phase right before you did move to Fairport Wealth, where you stayed for the last 23 years. Was working for a, a large insurance company, privately held. The ownership privately held, sold. And so was looking for a job. Ended up working locally for one of the banks. Hmm. 
they were good to me, but it wasn't a good place for me. And I had an opportunity to interview with what was the leadership team at the time of the old Ralston and Company and joined them really on a whim. The role wasn't something I really had done before. The opportunity was somewhat undefined. I just knew that I was in this big company. And while I had a big role, not really sure that I was happy. Yeah. And I was at that point in my early 40s and said, if I'm ever going to make the plunge, I'm ever going to do something completely out of character and take that big risk. I'm going to do it now because if I wait a few years, I'm probably never going to. And so let's jump. Yeah. And I jumped. And I got lucky. I got lucky and I had a lot of help from a lot of people over the years, but it was a journey. We went from being basically a family-run business to then joining another firm and becoming a consolidated business, but we did that all wrong. Mm-hmm. And I tell the story that way. And then we figured it out and then we took ourselves private and then we got private equity money. And so we went through the journey up and down and sideways to get to where we were. So we've got lots of scars and bruises to show for it. Better firm because of it. We know the path that we had to take to get there. And we tried things, excuse me, that that we know didn't work. You didn't start as the CEO. I did not. Nope. What what was your first? I I think the title might have been VP of Marketing, which was funny because it's probably the one thing in my past I've never done before. I've worked in most parts of the businesses that I had been in. Uh, the VP of marketing one was an open position, and we were interested in working together. And so that's where I got slotted and okay. sat in, came in, sat down, and went, Okay, so what are we trying to do? Um, Did you sit down, start designing and no, copywriting? And no, just, yeah. I think it was more just trying to look at this as a business. And then pretty soon after that start, took on additional business roles within the business. Yeah. I think people realized. This really isn't going to work with Ken sitting over here. Maybe we ought to try something that maybe he can be good at. Right person, but there's a better seat. And one of the things that people will comment on relative to my approach to things is I ask a lot of questions. I just, I'm I'm curious, I'm inquisitive, I need to understand. And so I ask a lot of questions. And I think I was asking a lot of questions. I was making suggestions. I had ideas. I think it was like, okay, we know this. We better do something with this guy because he's driving us all crazy. So, you know, let's give him something else to do. And so the role just continued to evolve. Did you stop asking questions when you weren't new anymore? No. No. In fact, I think I, I think I probably asked more questions as CEO than I did when I was. It's, I think it's also a big part of being a leader is asking questions. It's a wonderful way to develop, first of all. They're not really going to learn if you're giving them the answers. They're not really going to learn if you're directing them. But if you're asking questions, how did you get that? What were you thinking when you made that decision? What all did you consider? What were the things that went into that? Or in hindsight, okay, that didn't work the way you wanted. What would you have done different? And maybe we're crossing into a different conversation point. One of the experiences I had myself in leadership was going to the West Point Thayer Leadership. Okay. And when you talk about things that opened your eyes, and this was for me just five years ago, so it wasn't as if this happened early in my career, got a chance to go there 
and sit in the room with general and colonel who direct military operations. And you start talking about leadership and the things that you're challenged with when you think about your business and the outcomes of not planning and not thinking things through and not being strategic and not considering all the contingencies and the thing they have to do and the consequences that they face. It, it was for me just a, one of those aha moments. Perspective altering. Big time. And it's okay. You know, yeah, what we do is important, but man, I better put some context because, yeah. right? Especially when we let things affect us yeah. so much and yeah. stress and yeah. mental health, our, our relationship with family and friends because of how the sky is falling sometimes when... Big time. Half the, I think half the challenge of leadership is the unexpected. And I think, again... One of the things I've learned over time is how to be balanced, right? The sky's never always bright blue and the sky's always never falling. It's, you know, you, you can't look at the world that way. You can't overreact to be the calm in the storm. You've got to add clarity to it. You, you've got to be the person that still provides context, but hope. Yeah. And again, you come out of something like where you're talking to people at the Thayer Leadership Institute and you realize that this is real, but this isn't real work. This is totally different. Um, That's like the most intense, authentic right. form of leadership where there is no BS yeah. because it is right. live online. Gen- you got a general and... standing in front of you and he starts to tear up because he lost members of his unit because he didn't plan something, didn't think it through, right? You read Extreme Ownership. You heard that book? I have. Jocko Willing, Leif Babin. That's something. Actually, I think I exposed your team to that last week, your former team. Excellent. During positive accountability, because there's so many lessons, aha moments that come from military leaders' stories that they share. Yes. And it's not hard to find parallels. You can absolutely find similarities because leadership, to a large degree, is leadership. But consequences are far different, right? And that's where I think it does give us perspective a little bit. And, and you asked the question a moment ago about my own journey with regard to succession, mm-hmm. right? I, I didn't get it right when I first I had talked about and was planning to actually retire prior to this year. Right. I brought somebody into the business, uh, certain they were the right person. Turned out to still be a good person, but not the right person. And this is where the trust piece paid huge dividends. Um, I was believing what I wanted to believe. Yeah. I was seeing what I wanted to see. And I had some people that I've known that trust me and I trust them, finally sit down with me and go, you, you don't see what's happening. Ooh. You've got an issue. I didn't know this part. So um, I, I knew you'd identified somebody who ultimately wasn't correct. the right person for that seat. I can see that being, not that you had intentional blinders on in any way, but just you're looking forward and I just figured feeling it was like, your reaction to change. Yeah. It was a reaction, okay, 
Ken's stepping back. This person is going to be doing stuff. They don't like it. You know, this, this, this will be okay, right? It wasn't okay. And I had folks, I, they deserve all the credit here. We stepped forward and said, you've got a problem. Yeah. Um, and trust us that you got an issue. That probably doesn't happen every time. And I think that's, that has to be a testament of like how you led, how you connected with those people that they felt the ability to. Like People naturally fear speaking, speaking truth to power. Yes. It, they don't imagine. Like That was probably pretty difficult for them to raise their hand and say something to you that you probably wouldn't be too happy to hear. But that element of it, I, that makes it a little bit more unique than I had realized. Because I think in many cases, that wrong person is brought on and you move forward with that no matter what. People speak up and it falls on deaf ears. You just stay the course. Or people don't speak up. And that's absolutely a part of the equation where I think you had a successful handoff. Tell us what came next or tell, tell well, us more it, of that. It, as I rec recognized we had a, it wasn't a fit. And we moved on from that. I got with the firm and said, listen, I missed this one. I made a mistake. This wasn't the right fit. This didn't work. This is on me. I missed it. And I'm going to spend the next whatever period of time getting grounded as to where this, why didn't it? What did I? What didn't I see that I needed to see? Because I am going to go do this again, right? Because I need I, to be. I am going to retire at some point in time. So how do I get this right? Yeah. And so I'm going to spend some time, commit to spending time with all of you and understanding this better than I do, so that I can get it right the next time. And so I spent probably the next six nine months easily, really grounded differently inside the business, asking again lots of questions. Yeah. Explain why it didn't work. Explain what you were getting. Explain why you felt the course was different. Explain all those things and use that to then say, okay, now I think I have a better picture of what we need and let me go on a journey to go find that. Yeah. And got lucky. I was talking to somebody about a role and had the initial conversation with this person. And before we got probably a half an hour into the conversation, I'm like, the role that we're talking about, you are so are qualified why are we having this conversation I know about you guys and frankly I, I thought maybe I could learn from you just as a competitor and thought I'd pick your brain and we had a, we had a couple of chuckles about that I'm like so then why are you there why aren't you doing something else what are you looking to do right what's your growth look like there how is that going to change is that really what you want to do right and this is a person who also had worked in a small company once and and had gone back to come. You're really happy? And we turned that into a, this has really been fun conversation. Don't know where this goes. And we decided to talk a couple of times after that. And it was like, okay, this may be a person that has a bigger opportunity ahead of them than, than maybe we originally thought. And ultimately ended up hiring that person and spent a year and a half with them in various roles working with me in transition. 
and then they've become the CEO. Brought them in a lesser than president role so they could gain, gain credibility. They came with all the tools. They came with the credibility from the street, but they still needed the credibility inside the walls. No doubt. And so this person had the opportunity to get to know the team, right? And that happened, and then it was like, okay, we're on the right path. This is the plan, and we're going to announce it, and this is the role, and this is how it'll work. Right. We'll spend X number of months doing this together, and then it's yours, and I'm here as a resource. Right. And I'm just thrilled with the way that has worked. I could tell that in our first interaction. Then also, like I've had quite a few interactions with, with that person. I think he's pretty awesome, too. When we met, you were still very much in the business. However, the dynamic that you had with Matt was, it, it seemed like he was making the decisions. You were there for support if needed, but you had already taken steps so that that way, similar to your asking questions style of leadership, instead of telling somebody answers and the way to do it, you gave him a chance to not just earn some of the credibility and influence, but to start doing it while you were still, uh, you know, there was a net down there. If you fell, it wasn't going to fall all the way down to the concrete floor, right? Anything else on, on that? What you intentionally did to ensure success in that manner, like how you nurtured that relationship and what you wanted to expose him to. Yeah, I think in, in the introduction to Culture Shock, we probably had been within the last 15 months of my tenure, and we had announced this was going to happen, this person that was taking over, this timeline. And so we were able to be very open. Yep. Of course, thank you. You, you bet. We were very open and very public about what this person's role was going to be and where he and I, in this case, would begin to move my responsibility to him. We did a lot of joint meetings. We did a lot of handoffs. We did, okay, this quarter, I'm still going to run it. Right. You're going to be in the room with me because that way you know what it is we're talking about and how we talk about it. Next quarter, we're going to run them together. Next quarter, you're going to run it, and I'll be in the room. And the quarter after that, which happened to be the first quarter of this year, sure, I'm in the building. Yeah. And if, if you need a coach on the floor, I'm here, right? And it worked out really well. But again, there's a great supporting cast there as well. This is a group that has been around for a long time. It's a very tenured group. I probably feel as good about that as I do a lot of things, that yeah. it's a group that I think testament to the firm's culture is the fact that it is as tenured a group of people as it is. People want to be there. They want to be part of it. Not perfect, but they've come to accept the fact that they are the it's their choice as to what it looks like. Put your own signature on it. Put your stamp on it. Right. Take it to the next stage of this. I can agree with that. And the folks who I've met there, Fairport's are growing. It is. And I, I don't think we've actually, for those who are not intimately familiar, maybe you're not in the Cleveland area, or the, the name just doesn't ring a bell yet, probably will sometime soon, because mm -hmm. through acquisitions, through growth, become a, a much bigger force in the industry. But uh, do you want to give a, a quick high level? What's Fairport Wealth? What what do what does the team there do? What is the, the benefit that they offer to uh, the people that they work? Fairport is a 
a comprehensive wealth management firm in EOS lingo. Our purpose is to inspire families to determine what their legacy is, and our goal is to help them realize that legacy. That's what we do, and we do it for over 2,000 families across the country. Interesting moment as we think about the business, a lot of RIAs were registered investment advisor. We, Fairport is a registered investment advisory firm run by the person that founded the firm, typically really good on the investment side or the wealth planning side, but generally not business. Yeah. One of the things that differentiated us was we approached this as a business, recognizing that this is what it is we do, but we built it out as a business. And so it gave us the opportunity and in the infrastructure to also be a home to those businesses that were looking for succession themselves. And we then partnered in 2017 with Hightower as a parent company. And we were able to leverage their expertise, their resources, and yes, their capital to help us then go to firms like us that were really good in their markets, who had succession issues as many firms in our industry do, many firms in every industry do. And we've been now the, we've had the ability to be that acquire, that, that consolidate. When we think about the history of the last couple of years, pandemic hit us all, what, March of 2000. So at, in, if, as we finished 2000, excuse me, as we finished 2019, we were a one-person off, Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. We added a firm at the beginning of 2020. It was a partner firm that we had history with that we knew from Hightower. They joined us. So that was really our first acquisition. And then as we headed into the pandemic in March of 2020, I remember vividly being on a conference call with the Cleveland office and, and the office in Chicago and going, guys, we, none of us know what this is, but see everybody in two weeks. But what we were able to do during that moment was seize upon opportunities that we had created for ourselves and we moved heavily into the organic growth phase. And so since that time, since March of 2023, the firm acquired three additional offices. Pipeline is, I'll say, robust at the moment. I won't comment further. And the firm has grown from 35 or 40 people to 70, probably gone from one and a half to four billion in, in assets under management, five offices, and now has an entirely different growth structure to it than it did before because we looked at the opportunity to go, you know what, the pandemic has created a problem for all of us, but it's created an opportunity for all of us. And that is competition now is no longer re- no, no longer in your backyard. It's You can compete anywhere. And so if you can compete anywhere, you can grow anywhere, you can lead anywhere. And so we acquired quite aggressively and we'll continue to do so. And it's changed the dynamic of the firm, right? Which is you know, where Joe enters the picture, right? We're an EOS firm. We have leadership in place. We're using the EOS model. But all of a sudden, it's we're growing significantly and we're growing faster than we've got the management and leadership talent to fill future roles. Yeah. And boy, if we don't start to address that now, we're going to have issues. And since you're touching on it, because I, I want to go back and talk about there were surely some storms. There were surely some mm. uncomfortable, some difficult things that you charged through. And I think we've naturally hit on a lot of things we normally would anyway. But where does EOS come into the picture? How did, what, what has your been ex- experience been with EOS? And how do you think that had an impact on Fairport as a whole, and then also your succession planning. Yep. So my business partner of 20 years, 
who in the EOS term was the visionary, I was the integrator. As visionaries will do, she brought this to me and said, listen, I'm in this study group. We just had this presentation from this person that does EOS. I think it's cool. There's this book called Traction. Read it, and then let's talk. I read the book, got back together, and said, this is pretty cool, right? Nothing in there that you don't already know, nothing in there that's wow, but it's the way it's organized. It's the blueprint. It's the, it's the process. And so we then sat down with this implementer who she had been introduced to and said, let's, let's jump, let's do this. We got the group, a, a small group of people together, functional heads, and said, this is what we're thinking about doing. This is my co-managing partner and myself at the time. And we said, let's get this group together. Let's see if they buy into this. They said yes. And so we launched into EOS. It's been a great journey, not all straight line. But it's provided that blueprint. It's provided an accountability. Yeah. It's provided a common language. It's allowed those of us in leadership to articulate with a level of consistency that I don't think we would have had without EOS. It's easy in, use your terms, it's easy in the storm to lose your way. It's easy in the storm to go different directions. It's easy in the storm to change your mind. But when you've got that piece of paper that says, this is who we are, these are what our goals are, these are what our values are. This is how we do business. This is what's important to us. It gives you that compass. It gives you that guideline. It keeps you everyone's, on track. Everyone's working from the same nap, even everyone's, if they can't see more than a foot in front of them, right? It's exactly, growing together. Exactly. Same. And so EOS for us has been that. You worked with a pretty, I know it wasn't an implementer from our office at first. It was not. But from my understanding, not to say that I really know any poor EOS implementers or, or bad EOS implementers, but Jill Young is... Uh, she went on to be, and is currently, I believe, the worldwide coach. Head coach. At EOS Worldwide. So yeah, it's not to say that we didn't get lucky. We did with Jill. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And then we've transitioned here. Jill simply, she doesn't live in Ohio and decided she wasn't traveling. And so we still very much wanted to use a professional EOS implementer. When I looked at this from my role, and I recently had this conversation with a firm exploring EOS, is as CEO, I wanted someone else to because I could sit in the room and play a different role with my team. I could be at, I could be at the table with them. Also, EOS has such a plethora of tools in its toolbox. I don't know what those are. I don't know when to pull them out of the toolbox. I don't know how to use the tool when I do pull it out. And a really well-trained EOS implementer could do that for you. And many occasions where Jill would go, got just the idea for that. And now Kimberly here at Culture Shock's doing the same thing with the group. And that's um, Kimberly Dyer. Kimberly you Dyer. Probably heard in the last episode. Oh, okay. There you but... go. And and Kimberly and Jill know each other. In fact, I think Jill was probably Kimberly will tell you her mentor. Yep. She got into the EOS implementation thing. So at the end of the day, it's a pretty small world. And then because we connected with Kimberly at the same time, I was listening to you do one of your growth podcasts. And that's when I said, boy, th this guy's story is really resonating in terms of what he's trying to do and how he's trying to help businesses. We got a twofer here. Let's go hook up with Kimberly. Let's go talk to Joe. Let's, let's jump on this now because we need both of these things. And then the group's embraced it. And it's been great. It's, it's been one of my... I have a, a, a lot of great 
client interactions I love, so I don't want to show any favoritism or anything like that. But at the same time, it, it's been such a just great interaction from the very first time after that webinar, it being such a fit, it felt, between EOS. And there is something about when we have the opportunity to work with an organization at the executive level to truly mm-hmm. understand vision, values, mm-hmm. some of the rocks or quarterly initiatives, what you're up against, the pains, and then also develop the next tier down or second and third layer leaders to get more traction, to get, even if it's not necessarily, we're not training them on EOS, but it is on fundamental foundational skills for leaders that will enable them to operate on EOS more effectively and just to get alignment uh, on executing that vision, even if they weren't the ones who formed it, it, it's the sweet spot for me personally. So I, I love it. And the way that you introduced me to the team, just chance that we have a few members of leadership and emerging leaders in the group. It's a diverse mix. Mm-hmm. I think some of the most effective learning happens when you have cross-functional humans. Yep. They help others get that big picture, yep. but they also then build camaraderie to know who to reach across the aisle to get stuff done in the future as they grow with the business. And, and leadership is it's more than just a role, right? It's influencing positive outcomes, yeah. regardless of role. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's so much. Well, a lot of the leadership I've had in my life was th- through influence rather than authority. Right. right? Yeah. When I had led small business owners, like they're, well, they are their boss, yeah. right? They were franchise, like uh, business owners. Yep. I could guide them. There were sure like a set of standards and things like that, but ultimately I didn't have to listen to a thing I said. It was all through influence. And if I rewind to an earlier comment that I think I made, it was around the fact that people believed in me. They gave me a chance when I'm not sure I believed in myself the same. And I've tried to do that throughout my career with people. But now you come to the realization that, okay, that's not enough. You've got to give them tools and and most businesses themselves, their infrastructure doesn't support having the tools to be able to get somebody from that. How do you teach them these things? And again, no commercial intended, but that's where a culture shock like firm comes in. It's like, listen, this is a resource that we simply don't have, that you know, we need to expose these people. So how do we do? Right. Thank you for the opportunity. And I will put my heart into it. Won't let you down. That's I, why we picked Joe. <laughs> I will say on the mention of tools, it's like, Everyone has a good plan until they get hit in the mouth. It's that Mike Tyson quote, right? I love it. I use it all the time because I think when chaos strikes, when things get really intense, when you have a difficult people issue or something unforeseen in the marketplace where now all of a sudden stakes are high, those are the times that we lose clarity and focus most that we go back to our training. We go back to our tools. We go back to these simple things that we do habitually without thinking. You need to create these muscle memories and habits, right? And, and that's what I know I, I've benefited from because I also got hit in the face a couple of times. I was like, where am I? And it said some dumb things, did some dumb things after because I didn't have the tools and training to fall back on, Yep. unfortunately. Yep. Let's talk about at, at Fairport or if you got one or two that come to mind before that's fine too. Times you've charged into the storm. Times you've 
had this crossroads of something that there's a seemingly easier path, more comfortable path. And then there's one that was a little more, mm, it, it, it sucks in the, in the pit of your stomach because it's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. Whether that's a conversation you had to have with another human, whether that's something you had to, like a, a tough decision you had to make for the business that you knew people wouldn't necessarily like. What comes to mind? What were some of the most notable in your career as an individual and just also as a business leader? I don't want to rewind to a point where I've already talked about this, but when we went into the pandemic, I think a lot of businesses in our space, probably other businesses too, took the hunker down approach, right? We're going to just, we're going to sit tight. We're going to tread water. We're going to hold our own and we're going to you know hope that this all passes and We'll go back to doing what we did. Yeah. Our industry is made up of a lot of really smart, right? Not necessarily folks that are very change-oriented. And so when we came into this and we said, listen, our firm is uniquely positioned within our industry to capitalize on organic growth and acquiring other firms that do what we do, we're going to step into that now. It's your analogy of stepping into the storm, the buffalo running towards the storm. This was us just strategically saying, okay, as part of our growth, as part of our 10-year target to have X number of families that we inspire, how are we going to do that? We're going to take this opportunity during this pandemic to go find firms that are now suffering because of the pandemic, who all, by the way, also have a succession issue and are going to have a tough time weathering this storm because that's just they're not built that way. Let's go find those good firms that are just finding themselves in a bad situation and let's see if we can help. And we were able to do that. And a lot of folks were, are we growing too fast? We really need to do this. Things are changing. It's just, it's just really necessary. And it's that old, we can wait for it to happen or we can take lead and make it happen for ourselves. We were very deliberate when we've had issues with market changes and our business is intrinsically impacted by changes in what the market does. And being able to go to your people in those circumstances, which we've done now over several market cycles, and said, listen, we are not going to make any changes to headcount. We are not making any changes to compensation. We are not making, we are going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to invest in the business. We believe in what we are doing here. And we're going to survive this and come out the other side better. We've had multiple of those events in the cycle that, that we live in in the industry. Those have been challenging moments, but reassuring moments for folks. If I think about opportunities where maybe I've missed the boat. But failed to charge into it in the moment. Yeah, realized that after. Probably more on an internal basis where I look at this and say to myself, there's always this dynamic, there was for Ken at least, between issues between departments, right? Two departments are having problems. They're not working well together. There's a lack of communication. Something's going on. Mm. And you got the choice of either I'm going to bring him in and I'm going to sit him down and say, get this figured out, and or I'm going to solve it for you, or you let them do it on their own. And I think I probably let too many of those try to organically solve themselves and let some of them probably get to a point where it became unhealthy. And I probably should have stepped in. It's a fine line in my brain as to when do you do that? When do you micromanage in a case like that versus right. when do you let him go and 
scrape their knees and learn how to be. But there's some of those that I look back on and go, maybe I was just avoiding having to deal with it, right? And maybe just hoping tomorrow when I woke up, maybe probably a few. even if you didn't micromanage, but just I don't know, would you probably a few of those? That that's a good one. I, I but think... I probably should have been. I think there's a compromise in there. Then as I look at it, said, listen, I should have called these people again and say, listen, I expect you guys to work this out. But I'm aware of something, but I can sense or here, identify. Here's, here's some suggestions as to what you might do, but I'm going to leave it up to you how you solve it, perhaps. But we're going to check in again in X period of time, and I expect to see some progress, or I'm going to get more involved. I'm not sure. There's probably other ways I could have handled it that I did. I like that, though. I think that sometimes just vocalizing. Yeah. Because sometimes there's naivety and people are oblivious. They think others don't realize this or... Everyone plants their stake and then they become protective. And then it's, I'm protecting my people and it's, don't you dare say this about me. It's, okay, all of a sudden we've lost the purpose of what the argument was. What, what, what were we upset about? And then you go, I hate to say it, but that's all? That was it? Really? And we can't solve that? Yeah. Really? Sure. Maybe on, on that same vein is, well, again, EOS, one of the comments, that one of the things in one of the tools in EOS is how you cascade messages. I think we could have done better. I could have done better making sure that I was part of cascading messages. I think sometimes I handed it off or I expected it was going to get communicated just because that's what we're supposed to do. Right? Everyone knew that. And I'm not sure I checked in on, so what did you hear? I understand you sat down on the team meeting the other day, excited to hear what you learned from that, right? What do you, what do you think? Right path, wrong path, questions, right? Just to see what the message was, because as the message gets told by various people through the chain, it can change. No doubt. And I think I could have spent more time reinforcing, again, it's that how many times you have to tell somebody the message before they actually hear it. You're sitting in the leadership room. You're talking about it all the time. So when you go to communicate, it's how hard can this be? And you've been working on it for three, right? Everyone else is hearing it for the first time. And then there's that. So why is this important to me, right? We talk about that being one of the critical steps. If you want to achieve positive accountability, you need to clarify understanding because so much miscommunication, so much lack of trust, so many issues or lack of accountability stem from one person thinking, I communicated this, one person just not wanting to raise their hand and be like, what the hell did you just say? Or they're right. confused. Or they just had a totally different interpretation of what you said yep. because there was no clarified understanding. And we've workshopped this. We bring it up all the time. What's the most effective way to go about that? And what some of my groups have landed on is uh that humble approach where you fall on the sword, take ownership a little bit and say, I don't always communicate these things clearly. So do you mind telling me what you got from that? Instead of just saying, hey, parrot that back to me. So I know that you're a competent human being or something. There's a way to do there's it. A softer way. That yes. doesn't make that other person feel like you're, you're demeaning them or, or something like that. Yep. You hit on a lot of things throughout this conversation that, make me think of peak leadership. I'm fairly certain if I ask some humans that question, your name's probably going to come up. Who's yours? Like when you think about your career, who had 
the most profound impact or is there like one person or a collection of people what is peak leadership to you and did it come from one person or what is that what do you think of that you tried to like strive to emulate the leaders that you had there was a person i worked for back gosh early 80 nickname was rocky love that right rocky felice good just an incredible human being just a very special person and I just learned a ton about being a good person was all about not necessarily management, not necessarily leadership, just being a good person. And just somebody I owe a lot to as it relates to being an adult, right? He didn't tell you to hate people? You got to hate he, people he here. He did not tell me to hate people. He did not. But he did leave. I was mad at him for that the firm we worked at together. But the other part of it for me, I mentioned it earlier, is I don't know that it's beyond that necessarily a single person, but people, again, the thing for me was people who believed in me, maybe more so than I believed in myself. And I've tried to use that, right? And I've tried to then use my own authentic style as it relates to my management, right? For me, it's a sense of humor. For me, it's being authentic. For me, it's trying to understand the person that I'm working with, right? It may take me a while to get there with you, and you may go, why? How's the family, right? So don't you have a kid going off to college? I mean, it's those are things that I was important for me to know about somebody, so I understood what made them tick, right? right. And while I tried very hard to be consistent in terms of how I was behaving, I believe, at least in, in my role, how I dealt with each person was different, meaning what makes Joe tick is different than what makes Kimberly pick is different, which is I look at the, the, at the, at the incredible staff that, that I had there in the leadership team, right? Sarah's a different person than Mike, and Mike's a different person than Brant, and Brant's a different person than, than Emily and Heather and, and Matt, right? These, they're all really talented folks, but if I'm working on something with any one of them, project or an issue or an opportunity, I'm probably going to approach it somewhat differently with each one of them because of how they're going to react. Take the time to know. That's, it's an investment of time. It can take a little bit longer, but I, there's this thing. I heard this term years ago, and I can't even really give it the right context, but when you get to that level of trust with somebody, you get discretionary effort above and beyond what you would ever get under any other circumstance. Yeah. And I I feel very confident that at any point in time, if I had said to any one of these people, I need your help, they would have been there in heart, right? Because that's, I hope, how they felt I treated them, right? If they ever needed my help, I'd be, yeah. right? Because we had that kind of relationship. We had each other's backs. We were in this together. To your point, smaller companies, it's not a title thing. It's a let's all accomplish something, right? Do yeah. the work that needs done, not yeah. the work that's in yeah. the bullet points. At the points. end of the day, someone's got to break ties. Someone's got to make decisions, perhaps. At the end of the day, someone's got to be that person. But, you know, that should come organically as opposed to because of title. You made me think of something. Can I sh share a quick story with you? Please. So I'd rather you start talking. I got lit up. <laughs> Once I got absolutely lit up by the CEO of a company that I was working for. I was the, 
uh, I think it was the senior director of marketing at the time. And we were talking about leadership. And I said something very reminiscent of what you just did about adjusting, like knowing your people well enough to know that they're not all the same. And I need to understand my what makes my team tick so that way I can motivate them as humans, as individuals. And I think it was probably more to serve a point because there they were two things that were not like diametrically opposed sentiments. When scaling a business, you need to be consistent, right? If McDonald's had a McDarren and a McDaniel being made <laughs> in different parts of the country, it wouldn't have had that consistency that made it a household name that made it what it is. And that was the point that came hounding like a uh, skyscraper falling from the ground about why you you don't manage people that way. And I, that was the, the cliff event where things started to deteriorate a little bit because I was like, can you hear me out on this? That the human factor is, it, yes, we need process. Yes. We need some form of doing things in a consistent manner. So it's a an experience the same over here as it is over here. But if we manage our people that way, like they're not robots. They're not just numbers on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Running the business running the business and leading people are two different. Yeah. So uh, that was one was whew. Yeah. It made me question for a second. I was like, did I really sound that dumb? Did I say something wrong? And I thought about it after I was like, no, I just really disagree with the value of this human. And ultimately, we part of ways at some point. In large part due to that conflict in our I too, what we value. I, I too have changed jobs for I'll just say similar reasons. Yeah. Yeah. As we near the end, I want to make sure that you have a chance to share anything else that you thought of ahead of time or that kind of a call to action for Fairport or for whatever you're doing next. I don't know if you're teaching golf lessons, disc shooting lessons, people how to fish better, or, or if you're writing books. I know you said you're reading a couple books. Any of that stuff that you want to share before we do that kind of wrap, you've gained a lot of wisdom. You've gained a lot of hard experience. If you were giving an emerging leader advice, say it's you in your formative years, somebody who's first-time manager, what would you hope you could share that would stick with? What, what's something you learned that it's important enough you can repeat it over and over again? I try to boil it down, right? Believe in yourself. And I equate that to trust yourself. You and I were, as we were talking pre-session, if you can't trust yourself as a leader, you cannot expect others in the organization to trust you. You have to start with that. And I think it's one of the biggest challenges for people that are new is trusting yourself. You're going to make mistakes. It's okay. Be humble about it. Admit it. Yes, learn from it. Share it. But take some risks, right? You are going to be far better off by taking risks and failing than not taking it, because you will. I think there's a there's an EOS tool called Gap and Gain. At least I think it's a tool. I, I've turned it into a tool. And too many leaders 
too many people, too many high achievers look at the world. Oh, Joe's getting a prop now. We're in trouble. Oh, there's an entire book called The Gap in the Game. There, yes. there, there's the prop. Dan Sullivan. I didn't, Dan know, Sullivan. I didn't know it was Dan Sullivan. That's yep. great. I like Dan. I like his stuff. But it's so many times when you're focused on the business and you're focused, you only think about, okay, gosh, I didn't get this. I only got eight of my 10 rocks done. Or we, gosh, we, we hit six of our scorecard metrics, but we missed the seventh one. It's good every now and then pause and go, how far? Yeah. That gain part. It's particularly difficult when you're finding yourself struggling with things because it's, gosh, is the world really this bad? Do we really, are we really struggling this badly? It's, let's talk about what we've done. Let's talk about a year ago where we're real. Let's talk about the vision that we created for ourselves. And we should feel pretty darn good about all of these things that we've made progress on. Now, now, let's got, now that we have that perspective, now let's get some clarity around where do we need to put priority in place. People don't, I didn't do it. I struggled for years with clarity breaks. I then became a huge fan, but part of the clarity break for me was the gap. And I don't think young or young is the wrong word, but emerging leaders or emerging managers do that. Enough. I don't even think a lot of it's middle that, managers. It's, it's, that and... be honest, it's that be honest with yourself. It's okay to pause and pat yourself on the back. It's okay to pause and go, you know what? I had a heck, I had a heck of a good quarter. I had a heck of a year, right? I, I really feel good about where I've come from and the things I've done. And the, the whole learning curve piece, find a mentor, find a coach. I wish I would have done more of that for myself. There's I, still a stigma around coaching. There, I, I feel is. like it's broken down a little bit around therapy and things, but around coaching, it's not well, widely. And the mentoring thing, I don't think anybody really knows what the mentor thing is. People have lots of different definitions for it. Yeah. I wish I would have more formally pursued some of those things. But try to find people like that that can help you in your career. Maybe inside the company, maybe not. But try to find those there are a lot of people who would love to share their experiences and help others. So they're out there. They're out. Yeah. Let's come full circle. Be authentic. Right? You try to be somebody you're not, it's not going to work. It might work for a while, but you're not going to be happy and chances are it's going to be a bit of a glass house. It's, it's just not going to stand the, the test of time. Eventually it'll hit a wall there. It, you will hit a wall. That, you will. The gap versus gain, I think that one is a not only powerful leadership sentiment, but just life sentiment. It, it, it is. Don't over-celebrate yourself, right, where it inflates ego and turns into Correct. hubris. And th right. But the favorite environments I've been in are when we pause to acknowledge. We do high-five and say, hey, you moved on to the next thing already, and I, I get it, but... Right. That was solid, and I noticed it. Yep. And doing that for yourself, I don't think we actually spoke about clarity breaks on this podcast yet, but that has been one of the most helpful things for me personally since getting introduced to EOS, how yep. that is such a critical component of it, is having some deliberate time for you to pause, reflect, and, and zoom out because we get so in the weeds. We work in the business instead of on the business and instead of on ourselves. Yep to measure backwards and say, wow, the gain that we've made is so much greater than the gap that we're staring at 
that seems daunting sometimes because it's so hard to reach that when we measure back, it, we, we can see it's not that difficult and actually reach further and get there because it, we get a full head of steam. We, we get that, you know, kind of rejuvenation from recognizing I've accomplished a lot more than this. I'm capable of more than this. We are right. So there, there's a lot of healthy like mindset practices that come from that. And clarity breaks are, are really just get a pen and paper, sit down, quiet the noise of everything else and write some things down. Think about where you're at, what you're happy about, what you're not, what you're focused on, what's really a priority. Right. And what are some things that you should probably cross off the list? Like we do SWOT analysis in business all the time. Yeah. SWOT analysis as a personal reflection point can be, we all need to get more awareness. It's wild. Sometimes we rely on others for that, but I think you get less and less accountability from others the more senior you get in your career. Ken, what else? What any I think that's great. Hopefully we get a lot of listeners on this one. I want them to hear from you because I think just naturally without me asking questions, like a lot of things just came through in our conversation that people can pick up on. But to wrap this up. Anything you want to share? Hey, I know you're not working actively at Fairport nowadays. I can tell you still care very deeply about the people there. Is there anything you want to plug for them or anything that you want to uh, mention to listeners, recommend your the favorite uh, book that you've read since you uh, began retirement or just anything you want to close I with? I have been reading a lot of books, but maybe the, the funny I'll leave you with, and I don't have any any basis to understand this other than the fact that since I've retired, I now like anything that's key lime, pie, ice cream, no understanding why. And I now officially like country music, which I never would have listened to before I retired. And I have no explanation for it. Country lime mode. You're just ready for, I don't know, blossom and something, something tropical. Country music and key lime pie. I'm not sure what else to tell you. You hit on it early and I didn't circle around, but I will now and say, Humor, while you can be a great leader without it, it is some gasoline that you can pour on that fire because, again, people just, that that speaks to authenticity, right? You can make fun of yourself. You can make fun in a respectful, kind way to, to others and develop that sort of rapport. I, I'm now picturing Ken at a country concert, just limes in his pocket so that that way he doesn't have to have a drink without one squeezing one in throughout the evening even if they don't have him on deck maybe we'll see each other uh, in in that sort of venue in the future but Ken great visual you're the man thank you very much for this and for all that you've done throughout your career I hope you heard it enough as you were making that transition I'm sure some people you've I'm sure some people had a visceral reaction to you're leaving where they came up and were maybe a little teary-eyed and said some things to you. I'm sure there's others that didn't get the chance. And so I'll speak for them and say, thank you for the work that you've done and the, the way that you led those people, the way that you led your people and for coming today and giving back a little more by sharing this because uh, you're a hell of a guy. I'm glad to know you. Joe, thank you. It's been a pleasure. For sure. Pleasure's mine. All right. All right, folks. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode of Into the Storm Leaders with Ken Coleman. If they want to get in touch with you in some way, is there you on LinkedIn? I am. You can get them on LinkedIn. So that, that way, if there's any business updates and things like that, 
start starting a new venture or something. Maybe you come out of retirement to start a key lime pie operation. We'll let you know about it. You'll find it on his LinkedIn. Otherwise, if you were just listening to this episode, you can, of course, find the video version of it on YouTube on our channel there and any other social channels. We'll put some of the shorts out there for that. But thank you, folks. We'll talk to you soon.